Hi, I'm Mark Ramsey, Executive Director of the Ministry Collaborative. And I'm Jennifer Watley-Maxell, the Program Curator for the Ministry Collaborative. Obviously, we are living in a time of seismic shifts. And these podcasts are often recorded ahead of time. These recordings took place before the most recent painful and poignant examples of racial injustice in our society. The Ministry Collaborative seeks to promote and nurture deep and searching conversations about God's activity in the world and our place in it. And so with all that, we commend this podcast to you. Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast, a series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges, and joy in ministry today. I'm Adam Mixon, content curator. I'm Adam Borneman, program director. I'm Jennifer Maxell, program curator. And I'm Mark Ramsey, executive director of the Ministry Collaborative. A project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation, the Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Every day, we are inspired by ministry leaders from across the country who are exploring possibilities, learning from broad perspectives, taking risks, and who are eager to join candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. Hi, this is Mark Ramsey. I'm really excited today to be able to talk to Emily McGinley. Emily is with the Urban Village Church in Chicago, but I'm going to let her describe that. Uh, Hi, Emily. Hi, Mark. Uh, Thanks for inviting me to share. Uh, My name is Emily McGinley, and I am a somewhat newly minted um, executive pastor for Urban Village Church, which is a multi-site congregation um, that's part of the United Methodist tradition um, located in Chicago, in four different neighborhoods of Chicago. I planted and pastor our fourth location with outreach to the neighborhoods of Woodlawn and Hyde Park in 2013, and have seen the congregation um, really kind of lean into uh, its three primary values, which uh, we've talked about as being bold, inclusive, and relevant for us. That's sort of, we love Jesus and we love gay people would sort of be the, you know, er, initial um, elevator speech um, back in 2010 when the when the very first site was born. Uh, but it definitely has, you know, grown and shifted um, over the last 10 years that we've been around. A bold and inclusive and relevant, I think it's something every worshiping community aspires to. What surprised you as this has come together? And what would you say are some of the reasons you've got health and such vitality? You know, when the original founders of the church were looking to plant, they wanted to do something that was intentionally reaching out to LGBTQ-identified folks and people who cared deeply about, about their faith but had felt sort of either left out or burned by the churches that they had been a part of or just felt like, you know, there wasn't anything meaningful for the lives that they were living. And so they planted this and kind of had this three-pronged value set of bold, inclusive, and relevant. And a few months in, after launching, there were folks in the congregation who really leaned into this second value around inclusion, saying, you know, hey, we say we're inclusive, but we're launched in these predominantly white neighborhoods of Chicago. Chicago's a pretty segregated city. And as they kind of leaned into um, investigating that, they began to um, do some work with an organization called Crossroads Anti-Racism, which ultimately led to launching the fourth location that I launched um, on the South Side, predominantly African-American area. And then as we continued to lean into that value of inclusion, realized we have really good intentions, and yet somehow it's seems like every time we 
try to move on those intentions, something goes wrong. You know, what can we do about that? So we went back to our partners at Crossroads and asked if maybe we could do an audit to figure out, you know, what are some concrete ways that we are not living into the values the way that we say um, that we are, particularly around inclusion. And so one of the findings around that was that white institutional values drive decision making, um, which in their language and in their kind of frameworks, what they talk about when they say that is um, that white institutions, um, which I kind of want to clarify and say is not specifically white people, but um, the institutions that exist and that many of us have been shaped by and grown up in are based out of values around either or thinking, a scarcity worldview, um, secrecy mode, and individual action and competition. And so the flip side uh, is what they would call transforming values, um, which would be both and thinking with a bias toward action, um, an abundant worldview that uses resources responsibly, transparent communication and decision-making that guards personal integrity, and then um, cooperation and collaboration that nurture individual creativity. For us, these values and kind of just the very sharp articulation, both of white institutional values and transforming values, has really served to both hold us accountable to the ways that we kind of make decisions, how we try to hold power, share power, talk about who we are, um, invite people into, you know, our life together, Um, but also has put us frankly, intention with our initial vision to be a church planting church. So what does it mean to be a church planting church that uh, envisions itself as multi-site? You know, we're looking toward launching a fifth site, potential sixth site. How do we do that in ways that don't violate our anti-racist commitments um, when so much of church planting um, has really kind of taken on a kind of colonizing mentality? Mm -hmm. These people need what we have. Let's come in and show them without really paying attention to what their realities are. So really putting those things in tension, but I think faithfully, and and there's a lot of possibility that can come out of that. It's just, um, you know, we couldn't have necessarily seen it in 2016 when we started this journey, but it has been a huge aspect of our vitality today um, and a significant reason why a lot of people are willing to come in and check us out. How do risk and trust blend into what you've done there? That seems like that is both a high risk and one of the things it generates is a high degree of trust. You're absolutely right. It is a risk because uh, we certainly have had people leave, you know, not just because we say what we say, but because then we really try to embody it, which makes people feel maybe threatened or like that they don't belong. You know, they're not used to being decentered in certain ways. But uh, what can hold people in, even when they're in the midst of those experiences, whether it's, oh, I'm being decentered or, oh, I don't know if I can really trust these people, is a deep commitment to uh, one of our primary practices of ministry, which is engaging in one-on-ones, which come out of, you know, community organizing approaches, um, engaging people just to get to know them, to hear their stories, to take seriously what it is that's happening in their lives and what they're thinking about. And kind of high touch in that sense uh, translates to a people, a kind of willingness for people to be like, you know, okay, I don't really know about this, but I know you and I know that you are, are a person of integrity, or I know that you're someone who cares deeply for me. And so even though you're taking me into this direction that I feel very unsure about, um, I trust you. And so it's difficult, particularly in a diverse community and and diversity in lots of different ways to take risks without kind of building real longstanding trust that's deeply invested in one another. 
where does failure mix in? Mm-hmm. I, I'm a believer that failure in ministry, good failure is good. Yeah. Bad failure is bad. That's profound. <laughs> uh, I'm hearing more and more that congregations are struggling with, they feel like every move they have to do mm-hmm. it has to be perfect. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing this wasn't perfect. No, this wasn't perfect. And in general, I mean, you know, I'm a designer in my former professional life and design thinking is always iterative. You just can't be married to your first draft, right? I think one of the gifts of being a newer church plant is that you get to do the culture setting, right? Where you get to sort of de-anxiify, which I'm going to coin that term. That's a fabulous word. (laughs) To to sort of hold the anxiety or or sort of normalize or or, uh, diffuse, neutralize the anxieties that folks might have around potentially failing, but then always like pushing them to step out and experiment. Because even if you did a great job and experimented back then, it's too easy to sort of say, well, that was then and this is now. For us, we really try to throw lots of different things at the wall and see what sticks and not feel too bad about it. We did have kind of this idea because we we do have, uh, we are committed to kind of an evangelistic way of being present in the world, right? Um, One of the things that we've been trying to do and trying to find a venue for is an event that actually originated in Mexico that has kind of become international. And it's sort of like TED Talks for Failure. Um, They're called Up Nights. Um, Right. (laughs) So, um, but their thing is that you can't not use the F word. We're having a hard time finding a venue that is willing to host it. Because we sort of feel like, yeah, failure, let's create spaces where people go, and let's talk about our failures and and just kind of normalize and like, this is what it means to be a living, breathing human, right? To fail and pick yourselves up and try again. Um, I think the church has really had a hard time. I mean, you know, I always kind of pick a fight with Methodists as a Presbyterian around this idea that we're all moving toward perfection. You know, I'm sort of staunchly in the like, we are never going to get perfect and we should just like always be suspicious about ourselves. But the um, idol of success is a potent adversary for churches. It really is. Yeah, that's great. Um, In recent months, even before the crisis we're in now, which we'll get to in a minute, been looking at velocity as a spiritual discipline and (laughs) thinking a lot of things that churches do slowly they probably need to do faster. And a lot of things we think we need to go fast, maybe we should slow down. Mm -hmm. Can you put any of your experience through that lens and reflect on that a bit? Yeah. So one of the things that as a church that has tended to move fast um, and not entirely, but somewhat kind of embrace that move fast and break things kind Mm -hmm. of thing. In engaging anti-racism work, you have to slow down um, because Uh, Part of it is that you really need to listen to people and create spaces where people can be heard. Um, But uh, one of the kind of trade-offs of that is that you, once people are on board, you actually can move quite fast, right? So it's a little bit of kind of base building, trust building, um, but also making sure that folks um, both feel heard and hear one another on the front end. That enables you to move more quickly. But I think our kind of gut instinct is to go with the quick payoff, um, which can cost quite a bit mm-hmm. in you know relational capital. But I also think that like iterative experimentation rather than one of the challenges that I think a lot of churches struggle with is we're going to put all of our eggs into this one basket and that just ratchets up the risk, right? Like I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket. So why don't we try, you know, I've had conversations with folks. Well, like, why don't you just like take a piece of that yeah. 
and just try that little piece and see how that goes instead of feeling like you have to be all in or not all in, you know, that can kind of help folks move them along um, and to move relatively quickly, at least in micro changes that are palatable. Speaking of slowing down, uh, what's the global pandemic done to your congregation, its life, Mm -hmm. its direction? Yeah, so one of the things that has been really interesting is being a church that is predominantly folks who are in their like 20s, 30s, and 40s is that um, people move a lot. And that has been, I don't think that's untrue, actually, for a lot of people, but particularly in urban spaces, too. It has been really interesting as we've shifted, you know, to a more robust online presence for Sunday mornings, uh, to see the folks who have been, you know, part of what I call our diaspora, come back and like financially give and say, I'm so glad that I can attend church with you all on Sunday. And so that has been really a delight. And I think people kind of have shared how they look forward to gathering together, so to speak, on Sunday morning to see each other and um, hear stories and be in community. Um, I think one of the things that has, of course, been challenging that a lot of folks in ministry are trying to figure out is like, how do you care for people during times like this? And we're in a time of transition trying to fill a... um, pastoral position and the lack of pastoral care available um, for a couple of our sites. Some folks are expressing a deep feeling the lack of that. But other things that we've done is like we've created care circles. So folks, you know, five to seven people who live within easy range of each other, um, we kind of set them up in an opt-in way and said, okay, this is your care circle. Text each other every day, you know, see how you're doing, check in, this is for spiritual, practical, emotional wellness needs, um, because we just also recognize, like, we're not going to know what's going on with everyone. How are you balancing? And, and I, I say this with all appreciation that this is always a dynamic and a work in progress. But how are you balancing trying to love the church gathered, even as it is scattered, and loving the world? Mm-hmm. I think that's a particular challenge right now because so much energy is having to go into simply having the congregation have a sense of itself, mm-hmm. and yet God loves the world. So mm-hmm. are, are you discovering anything along that path? Yeah, I think as a person who has been in ministry for, you know, 10 years now, I, you know, I have so much empathy for Jesus in the ways that he was really trying to get his disciples to like do something, you know, and, and I think God loves God's people, but also like if you are useless, then you are no partner to me. Like, you know, it's a little bit of like a cold hearted, like community organizing kind of thinking in, in the sense, except you're, you're actually also trying to help people become like spiritually nourished and to flourish. But it's so easy to become just fixated on your own trauma and your own wounds, which are not not real, right, but are not the end goal, right? So for me to only just be healed is not the end goal. It's always so that, you know, I can go out and promote healing in the world in some capacity, whatever way makes sense for my particular story and where God's calling me. And so I think that, you know, just in the ways that Jesus cursed the fig tree for not bearing any fruit, God's ultimate aims are how are we going to participate in the the work of wholeness of life for all? Mm-hmm. And so trying to hold that balance, particularly as a church that often attracts a lot of people who are kind of recovering or in the midst of trauma, there's a real balance between when do we push and when do we nurture? Um, And different people, of course, are on different places of that spectrum. So trying to figure out how do we speak hard truths and challenges to people in ways that, you know, encourage them 
to get out of their heads. You know? Yeah, and, and one of the reasons I think we just need to talk about that. Yeah. And because I yeah. think it is a hard balance. And I think unless we raise that up, that's going to be, you know, it's a difficult thing because it's not an either or. Right. And especially in a time where the pressure to overcome all the obstacles imposed on us mm-hmm. to be the church, you know, they're high and we need to work on that. And yet we can't forget the other. But yeah. who influenced you in your vision of you know, ministry or service to the world, either a person or something you've read or what really impacted you? I would say it was a community of people. When I went to seminary at McCormick Seminary in Chicago, I happened to start at a time when the seminary had received a large grant to support Asian American young adults who were thinking about ministry. And at the time, I wouldn't actually have called myself an Asian American. I would have said, oh, I'm half Chinese and half white and, you know, kind of left it at that. I had no real kind of racialized identity. And that was by design or by intention by uh, my Chinese mom who just kind of wanted us to be American, which is a you know, code word for white. And it was just happened that I started at seminary and in this program and uh, through the conversations that I had with folks, um, not only came to understand the kind of story and history of Asian Americans in the U.S., but how that fits into the kind of broader history of race in the United States. And for me, that was just has been pivotal, both as a person who became a Christian in an evangelical environment, um, to kind of have my own spirituality understood, to understand it through a much more kind of critical framework. And that has in multiple ways shaped my sense of ministry as well as my own identity. Emily, I am so grateful for the ministry you have there and what you're doing in that congregation, as well as your involvement with us at the Ministry Collaborative. We could not be more grateful to have you in our orbit or vice versa. So thank you. and, And thanks for this conversation. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. Our producer is Marthame Sanders. To find out more about us and our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org. 